Well, we're in Psalm 53. Psalm 53, if you're new or visiting, we're going through the Psalms, all 150 of them, verse by verse, and we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 53. We're going to try 53, 54, and 55, and we'll see how we do. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. And that he went, he came to this earth, he died, he rose, he is seated at your right hand. But most importantly, Father, he said, I'm going to go back to heaven. And I'm going to send the comforter, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. And he will be with you forever as a believer. He will literally, God will literally dwell within you. And he will lead you into all truth. Father, I just thank you and praise you that Jesus, you didn't leave us as orphans, but Father, you sent the Holy Spirit. And so even right now, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. It is not my good words or my good teachings that are going to impact anyone. It's your Holy Spirit we need. So Father, we pray Wherever we find ourselves right now, whatever situation, joyful times, sad times, hard times, whatever it may be, that we would lift our eyes for these few minutes in eternity as a body of believers, that we would hear individually as well as possibly corporately what you'd have for us via your word. Father, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 53, to the chief musician sent to Mahalath, a contemplation of David. And this psalm is almost identical to Psalm 14. So as we go through it, you're going to say, boy, this sounds familiar. That's why. You know, it's probably written years apart in the life of David. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to remind people of the obvious. The obvious. Well, what's the obvious? That there is a God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, yeah, that's obvious. But when something comes into our lives that presses us a little bit, what do we often do? We panic. We forget there is a God. That's just human nature. But then obviously, hopefully, we come back to terms and clear our head and get focused. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. There's a God. There is a God. You see, for you and I, we can even fall into this trap. The world, we shouldn't be surprised that the world is doing what they're doing today. We should not be surprised at all. But yet God reaches out to the world with the obvious and also that there's a God and that there is no one worthy of heaven. Because unfortunately, today, guys, and you may even be here today, I don't know all of you. I was born and raised in a religion where we had to work our way to heaven through prayers, through good deeds, through church attendance, through sacraments. We had to do all of these things. And then hopefully at the end of the day, hopefully we were good enough to get into heaven. But nobody really knew for sure. And that's so a majority of religions are today. Works orientated. You have to work. You have to work. You have to prove yourself. Well, that's not why we're here this morning. We're here this morning because God loves us. And God loves the whole world as we have 7.3 billion people. God loves every religious person and is reaching out to them, trying to help them to understand your religion is doing you nothing. 
Saul, who became Paul, was a very religious man. But he was going to hell. He thought he knew God. Now, he did know God intellectually, but he didn't have a personal relationship with God in his heart. Well, how do I know that? Because he was killing Christians. And he was doing it joyfully, thinking, I'm doing God's will. I'm going to wipe out this thing called the church. So he didn't have a relationship with God, even though he was very, very religious. So if you're here this morning and you're working out religion, we're not here for that. We desire for you to have a personal relationship with God because it is all about relationship. You see, here in verses 1 through 3, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men. And I actually have verse 2 and 3 highlighted in my Bible, and I encourage you to highlight your Bible, underline it, you know, write in the margins, make it personal. It's about, again, a relationship. To see if there are any who understand who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, if you're reading from Genesis to Revelation, which I encourage you to do, that probably sounds familiar because Paul references these exact verses in Romans. And even as a pious religious person, he had to come to understand, I was seeking God. I was seeking self-righteousness. It was all about me, Saul. It was about my reputation. It was about what I could memorize. It was about what I could teach. That's not what it's about. And he came to learn that, praise God. But as we look at these verses, it's a classic example of how you could take the Bible and make it say whatever you want it to say. And when people do things and they're way off base, I'll often mention this to them. I'll say, well, you know what? If you really want to go down that road, there are verses in the Bible that says there is no God. And because they haven't read the whole Bible, they'll do the old dog head routine. They'll be looking at you and go, huh? Yeah, the Bible says there is no God. And you can actually take them to these verses. So you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. But you want to obviously read all of the Bible before, after a specific verse so that you don't take it out of context. Now, if you have a New King James or a King James version of the Bible, you'll notice that the there is is italicized. It's italicized, which means it's not in the original text, but added by the translators. So it would actually just read no God, N-O, not K-N-O-W, but N-O. No God. It's one of the first words our children learn. And it's probably one of the hardest for them to unlearn. And when someone tells you or me to do something, sometimes the flesh, let me speak for myself. Sometimes my flesh just wants to say no. Maybe none of you, but for me, I know, I'm your pastor. Sorry. Sometimes I just want, no, I don't want to do that. You see, instructions hold us accountable. 
which means we become responsible. And this is why most people will say no to the Bible. No, I don't want to read the Bible. Because they know instinctively that it is a holy book. That it is full of holy instructions. And that it will teach us and lead us in the ways of a holy God which will then cause us to become holy ourselves. Again, not for self-righteousness reasons, but to be right with God. And they instinctively know that if I'm going to become more holy, that means I'm going to have to give up having sex outside of marriage. That's more important to me. That means I'm, it's going to, it means I'm going to have to probably give up, you know, going to those parties and getting drunk. And I just like those parties or getting high or stealing, or cheating, or whatever it may be. And so we forgo reading, because when we read, we are now held responsible. And because we're held responsible, we're held accountable. And I think this is why a lot of Christians don't even read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Because unfortunately, we could find ourselves doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. So if we don't read our Bibles, we won't be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And we'll be okay just continuing to do them. No, we're shortchanging ourselves. So instructions hold us accountable, which means we become responsible for our actions and our flesh. It's just uncomfortable about that. That, like I mentioned last week, that battle. So it's easier for a person to say that there is no God. For then there's no accountability, which translates over to no responsibility. Now, as we look at this here, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In the Hebrew, uh, there's, and I'm not going to try to pronounce these. We have a slide. You can read them yourselves. But there's three different root words for, in the Hebrew language. The last one that's referenced here is Nabal, the brutish one. The brutish one who refuses help. You see, Nabal is referenced here, and Webster's Dictionary defines brutish as this. Insensible, unfeeling, carnal. Now again, if you're reading your New Testament, you're you familiar with that word carnal. Paul references often. That's what's speaking about our fleshly desires. Carnal. So in Nabal is one who wants to do things their own way no matter what the cost. And unfortunately, there, again, there's even Christians who have sat in my office and I've explained the word of God and they know what they're doing is wrong and they'll still look at me and go, well, I'm not going to give up that relationship. Really? Really? Now, the Bible says call no man fool, so I don't call him a fool. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you are just a fool. You are throwing away your testimony and you're going to reap something that you're not going to like. Why don't you listen to sound counsel, to the word of God, to the truth? You know, and along that path of no God, an atheist would say, A means no, atheist means God, that there there is no God. Atheist. There is no God whatsoever. Now what's more commonly heard of today, especially with Christians leaving the faith, is they say, well, I'm agnostic. I'm agnostic. And A again means no. Gnostic means unknowing or ignorant. So yeah, there there may be a God. I'm not sure or not. So I'm agnostic. I'm not denying that there's no God. I'm just not sure if there is a God. And if there is a God, I'm not sure that you can have a personal relationship with them. 
And again, oftentimes when you talk with these people, especially Christians that have left the faith, so to speak, basically they're doing some type of sin and they're trying to justify their sin. They don't want the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be there anymore. And when I look at our nation as a whole, I don't think there's any doubt about where we as a nation lie. You see, when a, when a person, a group of people, or a society remove themselves from God's instructions. You see, we're here this morning because you, you guys love God. And you have most of you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you want to grow, you want to mature, you're here for a Bible study, you're not here for a pep talk, you're not here for a pat on the back, you're here because you want to know more about God and develop that relationship with Jesus Christ. You are a minority in this country. But as a country, as a whole, when we remove ourselves from God's instructions, those individuals will become very corrupt and very foolish. And if you're watching the news at all, about our current government and our current state of affairs outside our government, you see where we are as a nation. We are very corrupt and we are behaving very foolishly. Like there is no God. No, there is a God. And we as ambassadors for Christ in 2018 need to continue to be a light to those who think there is no God and I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So they can understand, no, there is a God who loves me. Again, as I mentioned, as is stated here in what we read in Romans, there is no one who truly seeks after the God of heaven. Even all the religious people today. You see, rather, all of humanity seeks after their own fleshly desires. Apart from God, there is no one who does good because God is concerned with the eternal. Even as a religious person, when I was going to church every Sunday, every Sunday, punching the clock every Sunday, Right after church, that night, I was living like the devil once again. And then on Saturday, I'd go to confession every so many months. And even in the confessional, I'd be lying. If you guys think it through, I was li- you're lying. You just went in there and you just lied. Just to satisfy the requirements of the church. Religion is so dangerous. You know, people look at the external and maybe compliment someone on their good deeds, but God looks upon the heart. And guys, that's what you, we know this as believers, but the world doesn't. So you and I, we need to have that opportunity to share with them. Hey, God looks at the heart. Could you tell somebody, you know what? Only good people go, you know, good people don't go to heaven. They're saying, well, I guess I'm going because I'm not that bad. They'll not say, oh, I'm really good. They'll say, I'm not that bad, which says, I'm good. No, God looks at the heart, and all of humanity falls short of his standards of perfection, including everyone in this room that is born again. You fell short, and you realize that, and that's why you ask Jesus to be your Savior. Psalm 53, 4 and 5, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread? So David here uses a biblical metaphor as they eat bread. The wicked were exploiting and abusing the helpless and do not call upon God. David knows there's a God. There they are in great fear 
where no fear was, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. You see, there is a God. And he is the final judge. And every person will stand before that judge. And the Lord is the believer's refuge for there is no scamming God on that day. That should cause all of us to consider our actions and our motives, even as believers. Verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Now again, remember, David lived at 1000 B.C. So this big question that's happening on the political scene today, you know, is Israel really Israel? Is Jerusalem really the capital of Israel? Just keep going back to the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You see, David prays for God's deliverance from Zion, which would have been Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital of Israel in 1000 BC, roughly. The Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus now, eventually did come out of Zion, and he will return to Zion once again someday very soon. Let's look at Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, 1 through 3. This is one of those small books, and uh, they're really good about putting up a slide, so if you have a hard time finding it, you can look at the slide. We list five books. We even show where it's at in the Bible, so you'll see the little white cross up there. That'll help you to find it. Micah chapter 4, 1 through 3 says this. Now it shall pass, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow into it. Micah knows Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. So as you read the whole word of God, you come to understand that they're just like, well, mountain, what mountain? What's he talking about here? And as we continue to read, it's going to become very, very clear. But you've got to take the full picture of scriptures. Micah knows. Micah knows. So he's saying in the latter days, Zion, specifically Jerusalem, is going to be a focal point. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. I personally believe this is during the millennial reign of Christ. That thousand years after the great tribulation, the thousand years prior to the great white throne judgment, where believers will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. For out of Zion, so now Micah gets very specific, the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You can't get more specific than that. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to come back and he's literally going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And that's why the enemy, those satanic forces that are alive and well, are trying to rip Jerusalem away from Israel. And that's also why Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, That's also why they want to totally, and many others, want to totally destroy Israel. Totally destroy Israel. Well, we can live peacefully side by side. When you talk to them, that's just a ploy. It's in their charter 
to literally destroy Israel. That's in Iran's charter. We are going to annihilate them. They are the little Satan. But first we want to annihilate the big Satan. Who is the big Satan? America. The United States of America. Now you might look at that and go, well, you know, they're far away and it's no big deal. There's no mention of America in the scriptures in the latter days. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke among the nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. The thousand year reign of Christ. Psalm 54. This psalm was written during David's years of fleeing from Saul. You know, he wrote it in regards to his running from the land of Ziph. And you'll find that story in 1 Samuel 23. Some of the Zephites had gone to King Saul to inform him that David was hiding in their territory. And this made King Saul very happy and he blessed them. But David learned of what was taking place and he left He and his men, they left that area. And roughly at this point, it's 600 men, not including women and children. 600 men. And God delivered him out of the hands of King Saul. And again, this scenario happened again in 1 Samuel 26, where David had the opportunity to slay King Saul, yet he refused. Because as we have come to realize in reading the scriptures, David believed that God would take care of King Saul in his own time. So Psalm 54, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not... Set God before them. Selah. And remember that musical pause or the idea. Think about this. Think about this. You know, what a great prayer. You see, most of the time we try to save ourselves, but David cries out to God to save him and his weary group of travelers. Save me by what? By your name, not by David's name. And vindicate Me by your strength, not by my own strength. And the word vindicate means to contend or to plead. You see, he asked God to hear his prayer, which we know God does. See, those who are pursuing David were not lifting up their voices to God. Notice there in verse 3, they have not set God before them. So they were not pursuing They were not lifting up their voices to God, but rather they were lifting up their voices for the head of David. Again, they weren't pursuing God. David makes it clear. Verses 4 and 5, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. Cut them off in your truth. You see, David acknowledges that God is the center of his life and that God would help him through yet another trial. And he also made God the center of his group of friends. That's very key for you and me this day, this day and age that we're living in. You see, those 
around David knew that David was seeking after God and not after the throne of the king of Israel. So he left his enemies at the throne of God and allowed God to take care of those who were seeking after his life. But how would God cut them off? Well, you heard me emphasize it in verse 5 there. Cut them off in your truth. How would God cut them off? By your truth. You see, truth will always separate the on-fire believer from the lukewarm believer. And this is very important for you and me. This is very important for you younger people, especially as you're establishing the faith and growing in the faith. This is so, so important. I know as a young believer at 17 years old, I had a lot of friends that I used to party with and I had to separate myself from myself from them so that I didn't go back and do what I knew I shouldn't do, but to also give them an example of what they shouldn't do. And again, it wasn't for self-righteous purposes. It was to be that example. And I had to surround myself and establish new friends, which was hard. It means that I had to go out of my way to go somewhere, like to a men's Bible study. For you ladies, to a ladies' Bible study. Well, that's uncomfortable. So what? You have to surround yourself with like-minded believers. Coming out to a marriage enrichment night or a young adult night, and you'll think, well, geez, you know, it'll be awkward. I'll only be the new one there. That's okay. Because everyone who comes the first time is always the new one. It doesn't matter. You're going to fit in. And we're going to help everyone to fit in. Because we're focusing on the Lord. It's very important for you and I to make sure that we gather around like-minded believers as much as possible in these days we're living in. I mean, I don't know if you guys are watching the news at all. I mean, I don't watch a whole lot of it. It's crazy. It's crazy what our president is saying. But you know what the scriptures say to do? Pray for those who are in authority over us. Don't debate about it. Get on your knees and pray. So I don't debate people about what's going on. I just, let's just pray for them. The Holy Spirit can get there to Washington where I'll we'll never get there. So let's just pray. That's the most effective and the most important thing that you and I can do. You see, truth, again, will always separate an on-fire believer from a lukewarm believer. Again, you young people, are you wondering who you should date? Are you wondering who you should marry? Be in the truth. Be in the word of God. Because the word of God will separate. It will show you who is seeking after the Lord and who is not seeking after the Lord. And you will save yourself years of trials and tribulations. Years of trials and tribulations. And you also have to apply this to the you know, your other friends. And again, does this mean that we shouldn't have any friends outside of Christianity? No. No, we have to have, we have to rub elbows. But just be careful how far you take that friendship. You be the example and don't come down, well, you know what, i got to drink a few brewskis so that I can relate to them and they can relate to me. Nah, no, you won't find that in the scriptures. Drink a few brewskis to you know, show your testimony a better testimony. That's nonsense. But the enemy will try to get you to believe that. Go back to the word of God. You're to be different. You're to be unique. I'm to be unique. We're to be believers in Jesus Christ. You see, King Saul was living a lukewarm life at best. And David here says that God will take care of King Saul by using the truth. 
And King Saul ran into this problem on more than one occasion. You see, the people knew that David wasn't pursuing after the kingdom, and many stood up for him when it came to crunch time. So David stayed focused on the truth, no matter what others said about him. Did you guys just hear that? David stayed focused on the truth, no matter what anyone else said about him. Don't be concerned about your reputation. Be concerned about the word of God. The word of God is more important than your reputation. It's a great example for us. You see, I believe as long as we're walking in the truth, the truth will prevail. And here's my exhortation. Let the truth be your defense. Let the truth be your defense. And I say this from personal experience of being a parent for 35 plus years, of being in the ministry, full-time ministry for 22 plus years. You can't run around and stamp out fires. People are going to say things about you. Your children are going to say things about your parenting. You go back to the word of God. And as you parent and you continually go back to the word of God, they won't be able to say, well, last week you said this. No, last week I said, let's look at Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's why I said you don't talk back to your mother and we don't use foul language in the house. That's what I said last week. It's Ephesians 4.29. I really want you to memorize that verse. All of a sudden, you know, you're not the bad person. It's the word of God that's the bad word. And you just consistently go back to 429. Kind of 429. 429. 429. 429. Why don't you change? Because 429 hasn't changed. It's the truth. It's the truth for me. And it's the truth for you. It's not do what I say, not what I do. No, it's Ephesians 29 is for me too. So I memorize it. You memorize it. Our family memorizes it. And then we move in that direction. You see, the truth, the truth will be your defense. And as you continue to walk out your Christian faith, just like when people might say to me, you know, you're homophobiac. You hate gays. No, I don't. And I'm not a homophobiac. I'm just going to keep loving God and God love God's word and stand in God's word that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's the bottom line. That doesn't mean I hate people. That means I love God's word and I love God's word enough to tell you you're going to hurt yourself by going down that road. Just like living out, having sex outside of marriage. You're going to hurt yourself by going down that road. Because the Bible says don't do it. Drunkenness, gambling, whatever you want to pull out there. Gossiping. Go back to God's word because you're going to hurt yourself. I'm going to hurt myself. Verses 6 and 7. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name. Oh Lord, for it is good. Now, guys, think about this in context. David is writing this as he's been being pursued by Saul. He's not writing this sitting in a lazy boy with his remote watching football with chips and a soda on a Sunday afternoon. He doesn't have the comforts of home. He is running with 600 men from site to site to site. And he's the leader of this, guys. So now he has to think about, how do I feed these people? 
I mean, this is a tremendous responsibility that he's taking upon himself. And he's not talking bad about Saul. But he's actually loving Saul. On two occasions, he could have killed Saul. And he showed his men, God is on the throne, not me. I will not kill God's anointed. He led by example. Even though he was uncomfortable, and this could have been up to 10 years that David was fleeing from Saul. Up to 10 years. So as we read these verses, we want to get out of our mental state of, well, I will, I, I will freely sacrifice, sacrifice to you and will praise your name. Yeah, I'll do that too, because boy, I've just got everything. I'm so comfortable. Yeah, how about when you're uncomfortable? How when things aren't going good? Not just for a day, but for a week or a month or six months or a year. And it's grinding you and grinding you and grinding you. Can you still praise God? Can you still lift up his name? Because this is what David is showing us. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. You see, because of David's relationship with God, he freely gave to God. Freely gave to God. And here we see that he gave God the sacrifice of praise. Even while King Saul was chasing him, he still took time to lift up the name of God. And God had delivered him many times over the years, and David knew that God would continue to do so. And I encourage you to realize that as well. That God has delivered you many times, and he will continue to do so. Because we serve an awesome God. And his name is worthy of our praise. And in the end, we will see God's judgment upon all those who are disobedient to his word. Even as David says there, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Psalm 55, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. This psalm could have possibly been written prior to David's fleeing from Jerusalem when Absalom revolted against him. And if it was, then the friend spoken of in verses 12 to 14 and 20 and 21 would have been Ahithophel's. Ahithophel was one of David's top counselors, and his story is found in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. 2 Samuel 15 through 17. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me. And horror has overwhelmed me. Again, this is why we want to read the counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's real. It's applicable. It's relevant. When you think you're at the end of your rope, you read verses like this, you go, wow, David was there. David understood. David expressed it. You see, David is expressing the pressure that has come upon him. Those around him are coming down upon him with a tremendous force. He's even despairing of life. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and 
tempest. He wanted to fly away. How many of us have wanted to do that? Yet he would have to deal with the situation. You see, David had learned how to go through the situation before. And yet the word shows us it's not easy to go through these situations. That's why it's so important to read all of it. Instead of fleeing, we need to go through these times. For it's in these times that our faith is established even more in God's ways. Why does God allow us to go through things? Because he wants to develop our faith. And so instead of sitting around maybe asking why, and you've heard me say this many, many times, why, 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 why? Maybe we should just be asking God, how? How can I use this for your glory? How can I use this situation, this trial? As you're going through it with me, how can I use it for your glory? You see, there's been a phrase, it's not mine, it's been around for a long time. Untested faith is faith not worth having. Untested faith is faith not worth having. You see, we will find ourselves growing in the faith if we hang in there and allow God to take us through our storms because he is faithful. As the word says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Verses 9 through 11, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for they have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in its midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. Most likely speaking of Jerusalem. David is witnessing something that is very heart-wrenching to him. The city of Jerusalem had become a place of dis- discontentment. You see, under the authority of David, Jerusalem had established itself and had become a strong city, a beautiful city, a powerful city, a city of spiritual pleasure. But now there are those who had sown seeds of discord and those seeds had taken root and were flourishing. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And as you read that verse, leaven is symbolic of sin. A little bit of sin will infect the whole community. It'll infect your whole life. It will infect your marriage if you're married. It will infect your family if you have children. It could come into the church. A little bit of sin in the church could then infect the church and could affect the whole church. You see, David acknowledges a very serious problem here. And if this indeed is a psalm about Absalom, Absalom had sown seeds of deceit, discontentment, and displeasure. Verses 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. And these, I think, are verses about Ahithophel. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, You see, Ahithophel was one of David's most trusted friends and counselors. He was also the grandfather of Bathsheba. My companion and acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. We went to church together. We hung out and worshipped the Lord 
together. You see, Ahithophel, as I've already mentioned, was a very close friend of David's, and they had intimate fellowship together in the house of God, or what was called the temple. You know, if it had been someone else, someone who had openly hated David, then he could have handled it a little bit better. But it was someone who was so close to him. And I, I venture to say, many of us in this room could probably identify with this. Someone has hurt you in a church, and it hurt deeply, more so than if somebody had hurt you at your workplace. Why? Because you're in church. We're supposed to be brothers, sisters in the Lord. How could this happen? And you need to forgive. You need to forgive and you need to move on. Verse 15, let death seize them. I wouldn't want to be David's enemy. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And again, you want to read all the scriptures. We're not to pray like this anymore. This was before the New Testament. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. And again, these two verses I have highlighted in my Bible. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. You see, David stayed focused on his own prayer life. He knew, even though his heart was in great distress, he knew that God would deliver him out of this situation. Those who were against David, they didn't have a healthy fear of God, so they didn't change, but kept pursuing their own wicked devices. And it's a shame when someone is gifted and they don't use their gifts for the Lord. And as you read the story of Absalom, you'll know what I mean. Verse 18, he has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God or reverence God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Again, I believe these are verses about Ahithophel. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. You see, this person was good with words. He was able to sugarcoat things, but in reality, his words were meant for harm. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. And I just have this last Phrase highlighted in my Bible. But I will trust in you. You know, as the music team comes up, you see, David finishes the psalm with this exhortation. Cast, in verse 22, notice there, cast your burden on the Lord. Hopefully that sounds familiar to you. In the Hebrew, it means to throw out, to throw down, or to throw away. Shall sustain, sustain you, it means to keep in, to keep in. God will sustain you. Peter gives us the same exhortation in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. And that word care there in verse 7 is anxieties. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. David knew that God cared for him. David trusted in God. 
that God would take care of those who are opposed to the truth. It was just a matter of time. And again, David finishes the psalm with this simple but most important truth. But I will trust in you. No matter what it looks like externally, trust in God eternally. Three things out of these three psalms. God is real and he will be righteous in his judgments. Secondly, keep the truth at the center of our lives. And then thirdly, he's a good, be a good, solid, biblical friend in 2018. Three exhortations for all of us out of these three psalms. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And we thank you for this exhortation. And Lord, we don't want to be a Ahithophel. And we don't want to be an Absalom. We want to be like David, who knew you and trusted you and followed after you. He wasn't perfect. We all know that. But he also repented. And he came back to the truth when confronted with the truth. So, Father, we as well need to be confronted with the truth. For we could find ourselves going down a road that we shouldn't go down. So, Lord, as we read our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation in 2018, Lord, we just want to be open to your Holy Spirit convicting us that we might become more like Jesus each and every day. We're not here and we don't want to become religious. Father, we want to develop our relationship with you. So bless 2018. Bless this week. And Father, help us to be ambassadors. Help us to be light in a world that is growing darker and darker every day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Oh, we all stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Do not let a day go by. Receive him today. Have a great week, guys. God bless you. Men's night, tomorrow night. Come on out, guys. Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Stop the Lord Almighty. Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring in power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. When the sins of the world, His blood.
that breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb Every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb